0: Hey everybody, this is Karis Frege, and this is a daily devotional podcast where I will read a portion of scripture, a new one every day, and then share some thoughts that I've written on it. I hope it encourages you. Good morning, everybody. Today is Friday. It is December 3rd, and it's our second Advent together, um, our second Advent devotional. and. Um, as we're looking through the Old Testament, we're looking for Jesus. And there are, I've already said this, there's so many tools and devotionals you can get for Advent. And I'm, I don't know the rules. So I'm just doing, to me, what feels like <laughs> anticipating Him. Um, and the next thing that I wanted us to go to is the book of Exodus. So we did Genesis first, and now we're just going to move right next door. We're going to go to Exodus. And this is a passage that we recently um, at our church had a man come in and we would take communion every night we gathered. We gathered for four nights in a row. And as we would take communion, he would reference this passage. And um, the way that he talked about it in conjunction with communion was so powerful. So if you're able right now to get bread and something, grape juice, sometimes in our house we only have orange juice, like something where you feel like you could actually take communion, I would encourage you to pause the podcast, go get that. Um, and get it ready if you're comfortable doing that some I know some people only want to do communion within the confines of a church, and that's fine. I think when our son had cancer and um, we would just take communion all the time anywhere because I, I don't know Jesus just said, "Take it and remember me." he didn't give a lot of um, rules about the winds and hows, and I want to honor anyone's tradition, but for us it would, it just became a way to remember him and to remember what he'd done so As we're reading this, um, maybe thinking on the front end with the lens of communion in your mind. So we're going to start out in Exodus, and we are in chapter 12, and I'm going to read kind of a little bit of the background. So, you know, um, if you general scope of the Bible, we just read about God creating Adam and Eve and their fall and how God closed them, but he sends them from the garden. Well, they have kids who have kids and and they rebel against God until it's literally said, there's no one righteous on earth except one man named Noah. And then God calls Noah, tells him to build an ark. The flood comes, it wipes out all of humanity except Noah and his family. They are put on the top of Mount Ararat. They're able to start making children again. The world populates again, and out of the world populating, God calls what seems to be kind of a random man named Abraham. And his name is Abram at first. And he says, Abram, I want you to be the father of many nations. And Abram, his wife was barren. That's like a theme of God's in the book of Genesis. He seems to love to touch barren wombs and make them have children. So that's encouraging for you today. Um, but he takes Abram and he says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abram has two sons, but only one that's the son of promise. Um, and the son of promise is Isaac. And he, that, that begins the, the people of God, the Israelites. And so Isaac has a son. Um, and his name is Jacob and Jacob ends up having 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel um, but Jacob and his sons moved to Egypt it's a long story you can find it in Genesis but the point is the people of God have been enslaved before what we're about to read for 400 years in the land of Egypt so 400 years is a long time um, it's it is so long that you forget what it's like to be free your generations behind you imagine if four so that's your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-grandfather, grandfather, like past that even because it's years, years, years. You don't remember what it's like to be free. And all of a sudden, there's a stunning verse in Exodus. And I wish I had looked it up because then I could tell you exactly where it is. But I love it because God says, it says, God saw, God heard, and God knew. And it's talking about their affliction in Egypt and how God was so present. So anyway, mini sermon on the front end. But the, the point of that is that, here are the Israelites. They're in slavery. God God sees their cries after 400 years and he says, that's enough. And he raises up a deliverer and a man named Moses. And he finds him in the wilderness. He apprehends him and he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And he's going to say no, and it's going to be really hard, but eventually he'll let him go. And um, if you're familiar with that story, Moses does this. There's a lot of plagues and The plagues are basically, he says, oh, this is so cool. God says, like, I will work wonders. I will show my wonders to them. And these wonders actually turn out to be these really terrible things. But God's basically saying, I'm so powerful. And each of those plagues targets one of the Egyptians' gods, which is also so cool. So here we find we're at the end of the plagues. And God is about to send the final plague that will convince Pharaoh to let the people go. And the plague is actually the, the killing of the firstborn. So... This is hard, um, especially as we wrestle with, God, are you love or are you not love? And the God of the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. And we're just gonna lay down all that mystery today and say, he's right because he's righteous. Um, So here we are in Exodus 12. And these are Moses's words to the Israelites as he knows that the angel of death is coming. And this is what he says. Actually, this is God speaking to Moses. God is saying to Moses to tell the Israelites this. He says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month every man should take a lamb according to their father's household. A lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts in the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments I am the Lord the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are and when I see the blood I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt Now I want us to go down to verse 23 in Exodus 12 Says, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. So as we read this chapter, this is actually laying out what will become a feast for the Israelites for generations. It still is, and it's called Passover. And this first Passover is all about the provision of God. The lamb's blood is protecting and sparing, and it is a beautiful foreshadowing of what Jesus' blood does for us. The Israelites are enslaved and have been afflicted for centuries, and they're now realizing who their God is, the one that they've heard about, the God of their fathers, and what God wants to be for them. Their persecutors and masters in the Egyptians. They're watching suffer blow after blow from the hands of a wonder-working God. And they're seeing he is doing all this because he is fixated on their deliverance. After years probably of wondering if God even cared about them or knew them, this generation is getting to see the zeal of God on their behalf. And his zeal is about rescuing them, redeeming them, and being faithful to his word to bring them into a new land. And so each family, a lamb for a household, took a little lamb, and they raised it, and they slaughtered it, and they dipped hyssop branches in its blood, and they spread it garishly over their doors. And somehow, that act of obedience covered them from the angel of death and as howls of grief doubtless erupted around them, the reality of their deliverance must have started to set in. They really were being led out of bondage. The blood worked, and the blood still works. It still covers us. And in a world where it feels like the angel of death is menacing everywhere all around us and its shadow is passing near our homes, we get to live in the safe shadow of Jesus's blood over the doors of our hearts and our minds and our families. He delivered us 2000 years ago from the fear of death and he is delivering us still. His blood works. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. I think when I, I love how, um, I mean, I am a reader. I'm not a super smart reader. There are way smarter people who love to read. But the wonderful thing about the Bible is the author of the Bible, if it is the Holy Spirit, which it is the Holy Spirit, he's inspired every word. He is so smart. And what God does in our lives is make a story out of us. And so you see all through the Old Testament, one person, two person, like all these little stories that God is bringing together and he's bringing into his big, big, big story. And the Israelites didn't realize as they're taking this blood and they're putting it over their doorposts, it must have been like kind of gross and and really... um, like symbolic for them yes and they understood that blood was necessary in sacrifice but this was they were doing it themselves they don't have a temple they don't have a ritual this is just something Moses is telling them to do and yet here in the spreading of this blood they are doing a prophetic act that is teaching us today what Jesus's blood does for us and that's how really the whole bible is there's so much symbolism and God is weaving together in the lives of real men and women like you and I the faithfulness of his character. And so I just encourage you today, like what what is God doing in your life that is like this blood for someone else? He's weaving a story in your life that is gonna help solidify the character of God for someone else to read and, and to see eventually. And I think that's just so encouraging to say, God, I trust you, I trust you to show yourself perfectly faithful in my life for the sake of other people and for my sake. And then to meditate on this blood today, if you're taking communion afterward or, or um, throughout, even hearing that, thinking, Jesus, I'm so thankful for your body that was broken to cover me and for your blood that is speaking a better word over my life. And, and in the areas where you have felt afraid or anxious or depressed, in the areas where you know you're being um, attacked or stolen from, I think taking communion for those places can be so powerful. And just saying, Lord, I give you my son's cancer. I give you this difficult situation in my life. I give you this difficult relationship and I plead the blood of Jesus over it. And know that when you're pleading the blood of Jesus, those are not empty words. It is the most powerful substance in the universe, as Michael Miller says. So I hope those thoughts encourage you today. Have a wonderful day. We'll be back here on Monday for another Advent devotional. Have a great day.